April 22nd, May 13th, June 3rd, June 24th. These dates ringing any bells? Well, they might if you're an Ontario angler because these dates are all the different fishy openers we have across the province. Of course, these dates may vary depending on where you are in the province, but here in Southern Ontario, these dates are celebrated across all tying tables. With these dates fast approaching, Drift Outfitters and Fly Shop in downtown Toronto is the place to go to get ready for trout, walleye, pike, muskie, bass of the small and largemouth variety. Yes, Drift Outfitters has you totally covered for all your upcoming fishing needs. Stop by the store to chat with the experts themselves and learn how to catch the fish you're after. Or shop online at driftoutfitters.com and enjoy coast-to-coast-to-coast -to -coast -to -coast shipping on all the best products. Find them at 199 Queen Street East in Toronto or online at driftoutfitters.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of So Fly. Uh, you might hear some birds chirping, the wind rustling, and Yilma swatting mosquitoes and black flies because we are on location in the Marguerite River Valley. Uh, of course, I've got, uh, I, my name is Aldo, and I've got uh, my wonderful co-host here, Yilma. Hello, everyone. And we have a very special guest. Uh, Mitchell Roberts is an accomplished angler and fantastic Fly tire, uh, you might uh, already follow them. Uh, they're on uh, Instagram as li at Life Between Lines, and uh, I mean uh, the, the, to say that their fly tying is artwork is is putting it pretty lightly. But uh, um, you know, Mitchell, uh, we've been spending a few days with Mitchell here fishing uh, the Marguerite and 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 fishing uh, their beautiful flies, and uh, yeah, uh, a native Nova Scotian. You got that right. <laughs> <laughs> an atlantic salmon fanatic also correct and a tire of classic atlantic salmon flies uh mitchell roberts i know you've been a fan of the show for a long time so it's so cool to actually connect and uh it's great to have you on the show welcome on the show thank you yeah it's cool to be here after being such a long time listener yeah it's awesome and uh I great mean, intro great thanks i was kind of just it was on off. the fly it was just on the fly i was like oh <laughs> crap we usually do a bio <laughs> yeah. it was very flattering thank you <laughs> yeah yeah well, I mean, it's well-deserved if anybody, like I was saying, if you do follow Mitchell on Instagram, uh, if you don't, you should, at Life Between Lines. Uh, and, uh, you know, we can um, we can talk about, we're going get to all, get all to that later, mm -hmm. but the fly tying is just amazing. It's just incredible work. Uh, it's, uh, which is, if it's safe to say, is it, a, is it a classic, oh, Scott and Kate, we're here with Scott and Kate Sheeran too, <laughs> and they just went and got pizza. So if you hear a dog and a car, that's them. <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, we've been fishing, uh, for the past two or three days, uh, here in the Marguerite. It's super special. And, uh, yeah, I guess we'll just start with, uh, you know, where are we? I, I know we're in the Marguerite Valley, but I don't know town names. I don't know where are we in relation to Halifax? Where are we? Mitchell? Yeah. So we're up here. We're pretty far up the river. We're near the community of Portree, um, just down the road from Ross's bridge, pretty popular salmon pool. Um, the Marguerite Valley is kind of nestled along the west coast of Cape Breton Island. Um, it's a gorgeous, gorgeous place. It's one of the prettiest places you can wet a line. Um, about three and a half hours from Halifax, not terrible. 
Not terrible very, at all. No, very doable drive. I used to do day trips when I lived in the city, and it was, I mean, it's a little much, but it was doable. You would do day trips up here? Yeah, I got up at uh, 2 o'clock in the morning once and met my friend at his place for 3 o'clock in the morning, and we were on the river fishing for 6 o'clock in the morning, and I got home that night at 11 p.m., and I was so tired that I hallucinated there was a little creepy girl in my back seat, and she kept me awake. I was terrified. You didn't tell me that part. Oh, it was... Um, was it a hallucination? Oh, big time. I looked in the <laughs> rear view and was stunned. <laughs> Wide awake. Wild. Whoa. That would keep me up. Yeah. Or just see some salmon swimming in the... In the rear view mirror. <laughs> but it's a beautiful place. We've got the... Um, well, I don't know. What mountains are these behind us? Oh, I don't know all the names of them, but there, uh, there's quite a range here along the... <laughs> Scotch's lefties. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> Scott and Cater are off to the river, and we're gonna we're gonna meet them because it's it's six p.m. here, and mm-hmm. it's been a, a hot day, so uh, we want to get last light on the river um, because it's uh, cooling down, and we think that's gonna turn the salmon on. But the the water is cold, so we're not we're not too worried uh, in terms of like fish health. Yeah, but it's more like are they gonna play? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And do we want to play when it's that hot? Yeah, the no. other factor. We just uh, we just caught up from a salmon siesta, so we're fresh and ready mm-hmm. for this podcast. But yeah, we're uh, our backdrop is pretty amazing. We we're like I mentioned, we are in the Margaret River Valley, which you would assume means that we are surrounded by mountains, and we are uh, lush green mountains, birdies chirping on them, and and it's it's a pretty awesome place to do the podcast. And if you're watching us on YouTube, like maybe you should, you'll see the mountains in the background behind uh, Mitchell's face. Oh, it's pretty wicked. Um, okay, well, why don't we start from the beginning? Uh, you know, it's our usual thing. How'd you get into fly fishing? What drew you to fly fishing? And do you remember your first fish on the fly? Yeah, um, fishing's always been a, a pretty big part of my life. Uh, I grew up in the town of Shubenacadie in Nova Scotia. Okay. One more time. Shubenacadie. Got it. Can we yeah. pause for a second and just say how great of a radio voice you have? Yeah. Thank you. I've, I've never thought that I had a great radio voice, but as I mentioned to you, I do have a great radio face. So I don't believe I don't. That's not true. When you <laughs> when you see Mitchell on YouTube, you'll disagree. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I, I grew up uh, in Shubenacadie, very small town uh, on the Shubenacadie River, which is a Bay of Fundy tidal river. So it looks like chocolate milk all the time. Uh, the tide rises ten feet in ten minutes. Um, wow. Striped bass run up that river. It's the the only remaining spawning population of striped bass in the Bay of Fundy. So I grew up pretty attached to fish. Um, at that time, just throwing, you know, junk bait for stripers off the bottom and, uh, you know, fell in love with them. I didn't know what, what trout looked like until I was a teenager. Um, and I, uh, you know, I could, tried to get into fishing more because um, I was really, really into snowboarding. And uh, to the point where March would come and I'd get kind of depressed because I had nothing left to do. My mm. personality was, was on the ski hill and uh, I had to leave that behind for, you know, eight or nine months of the year. Uh, so I looked for other hobbies. I tried longboarding. Um, oh, I have a lot of scars to show for that. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I was never... Is there I, good snowboarding in Nova Scotia? I'm sorry, I'm, ig- I'm ignorant. That's pretty good. Yeah, we have some some decent ski hills. Uh, it's not like Quebec or you know Maine or anything, but it's it's pretty good. Uh, I was a ski patroller for a while. It was you know, fun, pl- fun, t- fun place to be, for sure. Anyway, yeah, I, I got more into fishing um, over the years just to try and fill that void and uh we were on a on a family trip actually for for a ski trip down to maine and uh, i had popped into a, a dick sporting goods 
and saw a fly rod combo, just a $50, you know, rod reel line. Classic. Like yeah. two flies, you know, <laughs> yeah. some, something. Classic beginning. Yeah. And I, I was, I had seen fly fishing in, in various forms of media and thought, well, that could be a fun new project, you know, give that a whirl. And so I, I picked it up. Anyway, we were at a family dinner one night with a bunch of other kind of family friends, other ski family friends. And I mentioned that I was going to give this fly fishing thing a whirl. And one of the the dads of the other families said, well, I've been fly fishing for you know 30 years. He said, I'd, I'd happily take you. Uh, huh. I said, yes, please, please, please. Yes. And so we, we planned a day and I went out with he and uh, his, his good fishing buddy, Charlie. And um, he was super generous with his time and, uh, and his knowledge and he had lots of it to share. So spent a, a number of trips out to the river and I kind of fell in love pretty immediately and picked up fly tying uh, sort of in the same breath. I was so invested in, in fly fishing that when the day ended, you know, the sun went down and I had to go home, I needed to keep fly fishing emotionally. And so I picked up <laughs> fly tying so I could just keep fishing at my desk, um, you know, while watching YouTube videos about fly fishing in the back. I really fell head over heels in love. That's great. Yeah. It was, you sound like Adis. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the impression I get. I, I would love to nerd out with Adis a bit more. Well, that'll definitely happen. It'll happen. Yeah. Wish he was here. He would. Oh my god. <laughs> he would absolutely love this place. Yeah. I mean, I don't know who wouldn't. Well, he likes swing, swinging flies, and he does. nerding out with you would be yeah. awesome. Oh, yeah, he would cake. love this trip. Yeah. yeah. Well, we'll have to can make this a regular thing. Yeah. Sounds yeah. good. Is it safe? Because we're in a very fishy place. Absolutely. Fly fishing only. Everyone's got fly fishing rods on their cars. Mm -hmm. Is Nova Scotia a fly fishy place outside of Cape Breton? Um, is that fair to say, like where you grew up and where you lived? Were you not so much where I grew up? Um, so the Shubenacadie at that time, in particular, um, was really just sort of a bait kind of river. You know, people threw soft plastics and lures and stuff. But, um, yeah, it's it's definitely grown along. I guess everywhere else too, fly fishing has gotten more popular. Uh, but there has always been sort of a culture of fly fishing in Nova Scotia. We were traditionally a, a very popular destination for salmon anglers mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. back in the day before of some of our other rivers kind of declined. Uh, there were three big salmon rivers that drew people from all over the world. Um, so everyone, everyone kind of fly fished at one point in time, especially for, for our native brook trout as well, because we got some pretty incredible brook trout streams, but uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you've, you've been acquainted. Oh you know, yeah. You've met. It's, it's gorgeous. I mean, yeah, that every day we're fishing, there's, Rising brook trout everywhere. Yeah. Everywhere. These yeah. Very healthy rivers. Yeah. Very and it, it was like that uh, across the board at one point in time, right? But things have gotten a little bit different, especially as you go south in the province now. We've got some issues with invasive species and stuff. But back to the original question. Yeah. We have uh, <laughs> <laughs> a, a ton of history with fly fishing. Um, and there's a, there's a good blend, I would say, of, of people that fish nice. spinning gear and bait and all mm -hmm. that stuff. Okay, so you learn how to fly fish. You pretty much instantly get interested in tying. Do you remember your first fish on the fly? Oh, yeah, uh, absolutely. So the first night I went out with uh, with Darren and Charlie, we went to a river in uh, the town of Tatamagush called the Waz. Um, so the Waz is where I cut my teeth, so to speak. Um, mm -hmm. uh, Darren introduced me to a couple stretches on that river, and uh, my very first fish on the fly rod was this tiny little brook trout. Um, awesome. Yeah, it was cool. My first fish on the fly too. A, a little brook trout. A little brook trout. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're so pretty that it's hard not to, to fall in love with them right away. 
that river has a number of of brook trout and brown trout in, in a salmon run in the fall um so that evening we just sort of spent um learning and uh hammering away at these little sipping brook trout and brown trout and uh yeah had a wonderful time it was uh, pretty hard not to fall in love that's awesome yeah that's cool um and then after that like you just dove in and you could i mean because you're fishing for stripers obviously you're fishing for salmon now uh did you kind of have like a new outlook on where you were where you were because you were close to, to stripers and you're like oh my god i could probably get these on the fly <laughs> well it was uh it was definitely years later before i picked up stripers um i kind of felt for a while i i lacked confidence and i think part of why fly fishing is so important to me uh is that that i i built confidence in myself through fly fishing over the years i, mm -hmm. I felt like a more confident person overall as I got better at the sport and got kind of more involved in the community and mm -hmm. made more connections, which I think is probably common for a lot of people. Yeah, it's absolutely. A gateway to confidence. Yeah. Um, yeah. Those first couple of years were, were largely brook trout and, you know, some invasives that were a little bit more simple to catch in the summertime. Um, you can say smallmouth bass. We like bass. Okay, cool. I don't, yes. Maybe not when it's an invasive species. But <laughs> yeah. so I, I do <laughs> caveat. I love fishing for them, and I think they're a fantastic fly rod fish. I just wish I had to travel to fish for them. They do kind of a number on our ecosystems. but yeah. Um, and we have invasive uh, chain pickerel as well that are also not great for our, our little trout and our salmon par. Mm -hmm. How did chain pickerel get here? People put them in? They were introduced initially as a food source. Um, oh. for for people working in forestry as far as i understand it oh okay what i've been told um and then over the years either accidentally or on purpose people take the invasives and they introduce them to other lakes thinking oh you know i'd love to catch those you know closer to home as well and mm -hmm. and maybe not realizing the consequences oh of god that. these fat brookies suck please give me a, <laughs> yeah. give me a chain please pickerel give, yeah. no offense exactly. to chain pickerel of course yeah. no but. again a fun fly rod <laughs> fish but um I wish I didn't have them in my backyard. Yeah. Yeah. It was about um, a year, year and a half of, of brook trout fishing. And uh, Darren, my, my mentor, always spoke about salmon fishing. That was that was his bread and butter. He loved salmon fishing to death. And uh, a year and a half or so goes by and he said, okay, I think you're ready to graduate now. You can, <laughs> I'm going to take you salmon fishing. I said, great, what do I need? And um, he was sort of an early adopter of, of spay rods in uh, in Nova Scotia long before most people uh, had seen one on this mm -hmm. coast. And, um, you know, I think probably 30 years or so of spay fishing experience. And uh, it was never a question. It was just, you know, here's the rod you need. Here's the line. Here mm -hmm. are the flies. Here's what we do. Um, so it felt a little bit like starting over. I felt like I, you know, had a... Oh, big time. A, you know, like a firm <laughs> grasp on this fishing thing yeah. after my year and a half of wealth of knowledge yeah. <laughs> um and suddenly i got to learn it all again that's you know, that's crazy talk but um it was good it, it forced me to adopt this culture of learning early on and right. I, mm -hmm. I don't feel like i'll ever stop yeah that's i i never did stop <laughs> i kept fishing for salmon and uh you know every year i get a little better every year i pick up more tidbits every year i uh hash out more crackpot theories with scotty over the phone <laughs> We, we learn more. Um, they're an interesting fish. You're not going to stop way. learning. No. It, it's a lifelong I, thing. Right? I firmly believe that you stop learning the moment you decide that you've stopped learning. Mm -hmm. uh, right. 
Like if you, if you've decided, you know, everything, congratulations, mm. you, you know, all that you're going to know. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I like that. <laughs> that's good. Well, I know for that's us true. too, you know, like Spay is new for us for the most part, but, uh, yeah. uh, every, know, I mean, uh, how many times have we, when every time I go out, it's like new to me, I have to like relearn it. And I, you know, in order to keep getting Make sure that you're comfortable with it. I feel like it's, it needs to be a pattern every year, you know. But unfortunately, I don't get the opportunity. Yeah, can we just say? Can we just like say straight for the record here how great of a spaycaster Mitchell? Oh was? yeah. Oh, I thought we were gonna <laughs> get that in. Okay, that's that's let's talk about that. Yeah, there's like there's a, there's a lot to unpack here. We got to yeah. talk about your spay casting flies and pick your brain. Yeah. Fly tying, and then just things in general. Yeah. You know. But those are the the two. What drew you to Spay casting, like when you saw it on the, like when they brought, because we've been fishing, you can fish single hand and spay here. Both are very effective. Um, you know, whether it's uh, wet flies or bombers, obviously you're not really throwing bombers on a two-handed rod, but uh, the marguerite can definitely be big in, in some spaces and mm -hmm. and some runs and whatnot. So the spay is certainly extraordinarily effective. So um, did you start single hand fishing for salmon and then go to spay or were you just like spay first? Spay only. Spay um, all the way. Spay all, spay the, way. all the way. Yeah. <laughs> and I think I, I might have mentioned this to you earlier too. I have uh, a single hand salmon rod now. I bought it this winter. You felt so naked today on the river. I, yeah. So I said, I felt, I, I brought it with me on our big walk today and I didn't bring the spay rod and I felt naked. I, I didn't know what to do. <laughs> it's my, the longest I've been away from my spay rods. But this, this is the first season that I have owned a single hand salmon rod and I've been oh, wow. fishing for 10 or 12 years at this point. So. Oh, that's amazing. It's, yeah, it's uh, it's. I'm not gonna know. lie, you look pretty comfortable with it. I mean, I, I single hand fish for other stuff, but the, the salmon. <laughs> and, You're so disappointed. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> but I mean, as you know too, even my single hand rods are, you know, single hand spay lines. Yeah, largely. Yeah. I yeah. I never heard of that line before. What what brand is that? That was the Wolf Ambush. It's a triangle taper line. Um, mm. sort of like um. You took like a switch chucker or a rage, you know, something that's sort of in that that weird middle zone between a Scandi and a Skagit, mm -hmm. and you made that single hand rod sized. Mm. That's what a wolf ambush kind of is. It, it'll turn over something larger like a bomber pretty easily, um, which is kind of why I thought it would be a good first single hand salmon line for me. Mm -hmm. uh, I have it on uh, another rod or two. I fish for for other things with similar kind of applications, like large poppers for for bass and chain pickerel and stuff. So, yeah. It's a it's a lovely line. I really like it. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, let's talk about your spay casting and why you're so good at it, <laughs> and, and what you've turned it into. I Meaning, you know, yeah, trying to yeah. I I see where you're yeah where I'm heading. Well, yeah. I mean, like you literally met two amazing people <laughs> on the river two days ago, and Susan and Susie, Susan and Susie, and today you were giving them a lesson. Yeah, they uh, <laughs> they liked what they saw and they, they wanted to do it. <laughs> They're like on the river like, hey, hey. <laughs> you, <laughs> you, you can this. help me. Yeah, <laughs> no, they, they, they booked a lesson immediately. Um, they were so cool. I really, really liked hanging out with them. Um, yeah, so I guess uh, to, to start at the beginning of that question, mm -hmm. um, I mean, initially, it, I didn't even know that there was really a choice like from from the perspective I had fishing with Darren it was sort of like 
this is how you fish for salmon. Mm. So like figure it out. And then I, I realized other people didn't all do that, but I felt like maybe we knew something they didn't, you know, it felt like we were in on something. Um, Cause really at, at that time, there weren't very many people in the province uh, casting spay rods. It was I like sort that of feeling. Darren's little crew, you know, mm-hmm. and, and every time we saw somebody. It was like 2010-ish? Yeah, it would be probably 20, 2011, 2012, somewhere around there. Nice. Um, and uh, yeah, every time we saw someone that was like, that we didn't know and they had a spay rod, we'd be like, who's that guy? Why don't we know that guy? Like, <laughs> um, yeah, because it, it felt like a. How does he know? Yeah, ex- <laughs> who told him? Uh, it felt like a weird little club, but uh, I'm glad that it's it's gotten more popular now. People are starting to kind of see the use cases for it, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's a worthwhile set of tools in your toolbox. But um, for me, it's uh, I'm a I'm a nerd. For, right. <laughs> for anyone who's unfamiliar with me, I'm a big old <laughs> nerd. I love physics. I love math. I love my computers. Um, and there's so much nerdiness to unpack in, in spay casting. There's so much physics involved. There's so much technique, so many subtleties. Um, and they all just sort of make sense when you can understand the taper of the lines and you can understand the flex and the load of the rod and um, how the cast gets you to those places and how the cast puts a load in the rod and what, you know, how you change direction with those. All that stuff is is so in-depth and so logical that it it really appealed to me and so i spent a lot of time researching all of the different spay casts all the different ways you could present one of those lines uh and i i kind of made it a personal mission um sort of checking those casts off as i went along say okay you figured out your snap tees now figure out a cat handed snap tee now you figured out that figure out a double spay figure out a cat handed double spay uh and i worked my way up and i i ended with a snake roll um and then i felt like i'd i'd arrived okay you've you can do all the casts now um and now make them better make them good make them perfect mm-hmm. um and if you have all the casts there's there's a number of like you know sort of modifications on spay casts but there's four principal spay casts you can do over either shoulder so you've got eight in total uh, and if you've got all eight i don't know if there's too many places you can't get a line out it's uh and to me that's the big advantage so, right. Yeah. And I guess it, to, to answer the follow up portion of your question, yeah. uh, what I turned it into, um, I, I, people started asking a, a lot of questions about spay. And at one point, um, I was approached by uh, some friends of mine that uh, were going to launch a, like an Orvis 50 50 on the water event um, nice. for, for women in the province. And they wanted to know if I would teach spay casting at it. And I, I, was, I was very nervous about this at the time. Um, you know, these are people that I knew, but kind of mostly knew from the internet. I didn't really know them super well in person. And, uh, it was far away. It was at a lodge, um, like three, three and a half hours from my house. And, um, you know, I was, uh, feeling a little bit of the, the imposter syndrome and, uh, but I did it. I felt like it was something that would be good for me to do. It would be good for, for my confidence and good for, you know, connections and networking. And, um, it ended up being, I mean, good in a lot of ways. It, it, it did those things. I, I built connections and I, I did gain a lot of confidence. Um, but it, it also just felt very emotionally rewarding to, to help uh, anyone really, but particularly women uh, to, in, in the province to get into the sport and to, to feel uh, like they belonged in the sport, like they could see themselves there and they didn't need to feel anxious getting on the river. And to share that kind of passion with people was really special. And I found it very, very fulfilling after that weekend. And I just, I, I knew that I wanted to keep being that person for people. I wanted to keep 
opening that door and, and letting people feel welcome in the sport and, and teach them the ways of this bay. <laughs> so I, I took up teaching. I, Jedi. I you know, I'm not a, I, I don't have the, you know, master two hand casting certification. At some point I will. Um, it's on the, on the, the sheet of to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I just started casually offering lessons and it kind of really picked up a lot of people wanted to learn uh, in particular like women and stuff, right. That, that maybe uh, felt a little less comfortable going to the, the big salmon rivers if they were going on a trip to the Miramichi with their husband or whomever. And, um, you know, they, they didn't want to feel left out. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it kind of, kind of took off that way. And I've been doing, they rebranded the event. It's now Atlantic women on the fly. Um, oh, cool. and, uh, yeah, I've done it. And that was just a few days ago. That was, yeah, it was last weekend. So I, I've, that's the third year in a row. I've, I've taught spay there and, done some sort of instructing stream side as well for, uh, you know, people wanting to go fish. Yeah. It's been great. It's been really good. I mean, you've been helping Neil and I out, which is great. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I didn't know how to throw a cack handed anything. So, so what is cack handed? Is that, is that, no, I mean, it's a good thing to, it's a good thing to ask. Yeah. But before we get into what is cack handed, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> we're on the river and, and Mitchell did say the best way to fish this portion of, of the river is to, do a cack-handed spay. And Mitchell didn't show you how. They just said how. Although walks up to the river and does it perfectly. So I'm not sure. I'm not going to say perfectly here. <laughs> Brother. Okay, well, why, you, you take the, the mic. Sure. And explain, yeah. because we were talking about this. Yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's I think, uh, breaking down the little steps of things. For most people, like... Especially, you know, someone like yourself, Aldo, that's been fishing for quite a long time. Everyone knows how to cast at a certain point. They understand what a rod feels like when it's loaded. They understand where to put an anchor. It's just little things. It's always just little things that are that you can't see. It's, it's really difficult to see on your own. So I think the biggest benefit to, to hiring an instructor is that you've got someone there with you to debug the cast, to take a look and say, okay, yeah. that was all good. You understand what you're doing. I don't think you're a bad caster but here's where things went wrong. And all you have to do is correct that one little thing or those two little things or whatever they may be, and you're sorted. Uh, and that was true the other day when um, Susan was out there as well. She was throwing a, a, a cack-handed, or no, it was a, a four-handed snap teat. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there were just like two little things yeah. that I noticed in it. And I didn't want to, I don't like to just barge in and tell everyone what they're doing wrong. Um, so. <laughs> I, I, do. <laughs> I, I observe and I, I, I make notes in case someone asks and, and she did ask. And so I, I told her this, a couple of little suggestions. And, you know, again, she's a fantastic caster. She's been fishing quite a long time. It's not that she doesn't know how to cast. It's just that she didn't notice those two little things. I will say the one thing that I learned this morning was the pivoting of the hips as the starting point. For yes, your, that's what I've learned this, this, this week as well. I've never really realized how important that is to understand that you're... To do that, yeah, or, or to, sorry, no, you not to do that because you do that kind of naturally when you're sweeping, but to understand to that's that's the starting of your pivot point to be more aware of your your hips. Yeah, the hips. And this, I tell everyone this is like you when you're doing any kind of a spay cast that involves a sweep, so that be your single spays or your snap tees or your double spays, anything where you need to sweep over to the side to get your anchor set. Uh, you don't want to drop or lift the rod tip while you're sweeping. And your hands cannot be trusted. They will drop. <laughs> they will lift. <laughs> your hips are very stable on the horizontal plane. Uh, the only way that they are going to 
dip up or down is if you start doing squats. And I assume you're not going to do that mid cast. So the hips are key. The hips really. I don't know about that. <laughs> I'll do some squats on the river. Well, you know, whatever it takes to bulk, right? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> if it fits your macros. Um, yeah. So the, the, the hips are really key. Um, and I think a lot of people don't quite realize that they see a big sweeping motion. They see a rod in someone's hands. They say, great sweep with the rod. Um, the hips are, are, are where it's at for sure. Mm. Again, Gilmar, you're trying to fight off the urge to say the hips, hips don't, don't lie. lie. Yeah, yeah. Mm. <laughs> I can, I can, I can like uh. feel it from you. And you're like, <laughs> you're like <laughs> should I say it now? Later? She's all gonna say it. <laughs> um, how important is that sense of community to you? For like, do you see it growing? Do you see it uh, being more inclusive and welcoming uh, here? Because obviously. Fly fishing in the past just hasn't been. And then, of course, and you had the layer of salmon fishing where it's, you know, it was, you know, uh, I don't know, you know, it's an old, old colonial sport. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's a good, I was going to say an old boys club, but that's even, it's also that. It, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and it, it is maybe one of the last, maybe not last, but it, it still is steeped in affluence, you know, mm -hmm. and elitism. So, but do you see it being like here in Nova Scotia? You know, our licenses were very accessible. You're not paying river access fees. The water is well public. It feels very accessible in that regard, yeah. right? But then there's like, you know, are you feeling that community growing through these events? Are you feeling more Definitely. hopeful? Or? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's getting better and better, I think. Uh, especially, like I said, most of the events that I've been a part of have been women's events. And mm -hmm. um, it's, it's fantastic when you end one of those events and someone says to you, I feel confident enough to go to the river on my own. And that's like, that's the main goal of an event like that is that someone feels comfortable enough to start down the journey to, to explore this passion that they feel they might have that they were blocked by, you know, whatever they, they perceive as, you know, the feeling on the river. Um, and you know, as a, as a queer angler, it's something that I've felt before myself. There's, I, you know, there's certainly spaces that I end up in, in the angling community where I still get, odd looks from time to time, mm. depending on how I've chosen to present that day. Um, and that's, you know, I, I know what they look like. Um, I'm fortunately at a point in my fishing career where those looks don't bother me. I know my worth. I know I deserve to take up that space as much as anyone else. Uh, and I will take it up if it means that somebody else feels comfortable following behind me. Um, and I feel like that's becoming more and more true of the women in the province as well. We've like we've always had our, our powerhouses like Kate. She's like never been afraid to to set foot on a river, and I, that's fantastic. And there's there's a few others like her as well that are are really confident and really talented anglers, um, and they've certainly helped pave the way for a lot of other uh, newer women anglers in the province. And then on, on top of these events, so I'm very encouraged by that. Kate is intimidating, intimidatingly good. She is. Uh, Salmon queen for yeah. sure. She's very talented salmon angler. Um, well, that's good. That's a good. That's yeah. a good feeling. I mean, we felt welcomed by you in this community. It was great to, uh, mm -hmm. you know, we've been chatting online for so long. It's great to, and I mean, we've fished together in Ontario. Funny enough, <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, but never here. So this is this is special. So yeah, yeah this is this awesome. Is good. Well, that's good. That's a, I don't know. It sounds 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 hopeful. Certainly, when you're driving around, like I mean. Even our first day running into the Susans, <laughs> and then everyone else seems to be, you know, um, you know, quite or everyone we've run into is very quite friendly. So 
Yeah. Good, good vibes. Yeah. It's good community. And like, I think we talked about before too, it's, um, on the whole, a really positive, really welcoming community. And like every spot, there's, there's bad apples. There's people that try to sow a little bit of division once in a while and things come up. But I think those people are, are really few and far between. And I think at this point, the rest of the community is so loving and so welcoming and so like open arms that those people kind of feel like outcasts um, for making other people try to feel like outcasts, which is a cool mm-hmm. role reversal. Yep. It's happening. Definitely. It's all happening. Fly tie. Sure. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's so or much we, I want to nerd out about speak. Okay, well, no, keep saying. Yeah, no, I, I, thought, I thought that pause meant. No, 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 no. I want to get to the fly oh, time because, because no, it's I'm pretty game. amazing. Yeah. I'm an open book. Lay it on me. Wait, wait, before we go. Actually, yeah, you're right. Before we go to fly time. So um, <laughs> are you, so I know you have your day job and, and I know you have this wonderful um, um, other life, but in the spay realm, are you going to? Do you want to, is it the dream to make it into a school? Did you, did you want to continue this education? I know that you wanted to get the license, the, the, what is, what the is certification. It? Certification. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so yeah, what's the Grand future? Grand Poobah of the Spay Realm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I think they Great. hand out that title after a certain point and I'm really chasing it. Uh, no. <laughs> um, Master yeah, no. Jedi. Yeah. yeah. What's, what's the, Can what's, I say just like, the there are a lot of black flies around your face. I'm aware. Yeah, I'm, I'm acutely we're all, aware. We're all I'm holding trying. it. We're all holding, holding it together, together here, but it is wild. Like, ah. that. I was yep. like, "Oh, it'll be so nice. We'll do it outside. The mountains, the birdies chirping." They're <laughs> not actually landing on me a whole lot, which is, is fortunate. <laughs> yeah. um, they're landing, but they're not biting. Yeah, they're tickling uh, me. That's the annoying part. <laughs> well, let's not tempt fate here. No, yeah. Yeah, let's not call them out. Yeah, not give them an invitation. Yeah. Yeah, uh, the ultimate goal, I think I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. The goal is to kind of keep doing more and more of these events. Um, I did get my guides license uh, a couple seasons ago, and that's been good. It's kind of opened Congrats. a few. Thank you. Yeah, we have a, a, a good guides course here in the province. So Radical. It, yeah, it's. Uh, I know it's not a thing everywhere that there's like a, a program. Definitely not in Ontario. Yeah. <laughs> you can just like say you're a guide. Yeah, that I remember. I asked you that one time. I was yeah. like, what, "Like, what did you guys have to do to become guides?" And you're like, uh, "We just started guiding." <laughs> <laughs> but I do not to say I do think that you guys are pretty qualified at this point in your careers. But um, yeah, so for I, one I, specific river. Yeah, yeah just <laughs> <laughs> you got that one dial. <laughs> we do. Yes, the lady Evelyn is is like the back of my hand for sure. Yeah, yeah. perfect. Yeah. No, and that's that's what you want from a guide is, is yeah. that kind of knowledge, that very colloquial knowledge. So. That, that being said, like, I don't want to cheapen our, our Ontario guides. It's just that it's funny that you can't. I mean, you know, you, you legitimize. I guess, like, what legitimizes you is in Ontario is, like, um, street is, cred. Your, is your street cred and, yeah. and, and how you carry yourself. And, you know, people that, you know, you know, Mitchell, yeah. like Jeff Parks and Matt Martin, Matt Martin and Jordan Pocket, who is actually on his way, well, to the Marguerite, not specifically here to this Airbnb, but I know... Jordan's stoked to come fish these words. You know, they legitimize themselves with the way they act and yeah, their knowledge. Yeah. If you spend time with these people, they're, they're awesome. And in some ways that's, that that's almost better, right? You, you know of someone because they have made themselves worth knowing. Um, it's, it's sort of their reputation precedes them, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas, you know, here it, it's, I mean, that, that certainly happens too. There are guides that are very, very well known and have certainly earned their reputation, but like, you know, anyone that has taken the course calls themselves a guide. And not that you you don't need a guide anywhere in the province. Um, it's just nice to to know that you're fishing with someone that understands the rivers. So mm-hmm. 
But yeah, that's um, to go back to your original question. I think the long-term goal for me is not necessarily more one-on-one guiding. Well, I, I enjoy doing that, but um, to do more of these events, to do more sort of big open arms, inviting things, uh, I'd love to sort of help pioneer the space scene on, you know, on, on this side of, of Canada. I feel like we're still kind of in our infancy on spay and I feel like there's a lot of places we could go with it. Um, a lot of the, the styles of spay casting that we fish or that are more effective here are, are more similar to Europe than they are to the West Coast. Okay, yeah. Um, so just yeah, we're all on Scandi lines here. Yeah, exactly. All yeah. on Scandi stuff, floating, uh, you know, long leaders, um, touch and go casts, very, very European as opposed to, um, you know, steelheady. Right. Um, so I think it would be cool to sort of take that and run with it and, uh, and you know, sort of introduce brands to the possibility of that market um, and, and to get people, get more rods in people's hands. I'd love to do some like demo days or some like sort of mass uh, demos and instructions sort of thing. Get more rods in people's hands, get people trying different lines and different casts and, and, and learning different things and, and just sort of, uh, you know, bring spay to the masses and, and help more people feel comfortable. I love Great. that. I mean, yeah, yeah uh, you know, on the, on the space side of things, like we tend to fish steelheady because that's where fish were. So we're like snap tea and ripping line, and, but <laughs> but here it's you know it's cool approaching. I mean, mm-hmm. we have Scandi. I mean, I think we we all use Scandi yeah. and Skagit lines back home. Yeah, we do. Um, I know Mitch uses Scandi lines, but I use Skagit lines anyway. Whatever, whatever. I'm going I'm spiraling here. What do we use but in DC? But it's cool. Oh, all Skagit. All Skagit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's cool learning touch and go casts. It's really like delicate. Very mm-hmm. delicate. Yeah. yeah. You can, uh, and you can, if you've got a nice long line, you can really drift a D loop really far, mm-hmm. throw a very long line with those um, sort of longer Scandi heads and longer leaders. You can really unload. Yeah. Definitely on a bright, sunny day like today. This is our first day of sun. You definitely want it to be a little stealthy. Definitely. Yeah. A good single spay sounds like almost nothing. Mm. Oh. Ninja. Do you think? Uh, Sorry, you, I was, it was a black fly on my elbow. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> do you think uh, you know welcoming more people to you means doing? You're already doing women events. Do you, do you think queer events would be something you'd like to do here, or something that you see necessary? Or? I am so glad you brought that up. I would love nothing more. I um, any queer folks listening that are interested in learning to spay cast, please. <laughs> um, I know that there are queer anglers out there in, in the Maritimes and beyond, and uh, I'd, I'd love to meet you. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah there's it's, the community is is small but uh every year you know i make a point especially during pride month to sort of put out a pride fly and be like by the way this page is a safe space for all members of the queer community and and every year i learn of you know one or two more people uh they reach out and they say thank you for for that or whatever and and uh it's really great to to hear that and um i would love to just have like a little network or a, or a space where people feel safe to explore the passion of fly fishing or of spay casting Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as, as members of the queer community. Awesome. I'm going to use that as a transition point because that pride fly was sick. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And every year, you know, you, you I mean, you, you put so many beautiful flies on your page, but that's always a fun one. Yeah. And, uh, do you do a different pattern every year? Yeah. So usually I take it as a, a creative opportunity uh, these days, you know, with, with my more traditional salmon fly kick, I don't do a whole lot of freestyle stuff, but, um, you know, usually that's that's a creative chance. This year, um, there was a pattern kind of in my backlog 
that I had been meaning to tie for a while and I kind of kind of tucked it away and thought, mm, you know, maybe maybe Pride Month comes along, maybe I feel inspired and that's it was the rainbow by Toll Free. Um and it just felt fitting. So that was it was my chance to tackle that fly. It's it's a pretty involved fly. It was a large one. That one was a six aught. Um Ooh. yeah. Oof. <laughs> uh yeah. How long did that take? Uh that one it went together faster. Four hours. Yeah, more than that. Uh but <laughs> <laughs> But still quicker than most of my, my traditional flies take. Um, that one, it, it didn't fight me that much. Usually those topping wings really fight you, but that one was, was pretty good. So that was probably a, like a six-hour fly. Jesus. Can I have it? <laughs> For the no, right price. No, no. <laughs> uh, Mitchell's seen what uh, we do with, yeah, with <laughs> the classic, classic I still salmon flies. I haven't used your classic yet. Oh my God. Well, we'll get to that story in a second. Um, so uh, you started to, obviously you already mentioned you started tying pretty much right when you started fishing, which is awesome. Uh, when did that become a serious thing? And when did you get into the, uh, you know, uh, the classics, like you said, the classic salmon kick? Yeah. Or so traditional salmon kick, yeah. yeah. Uh, one of my old fly tying mentors was was adamant that there was a distinct difference between those two, two terms because um, there was a resurgence of classic salmon fly tying in the kind of 90s and early 2000s. And uh, a lot of those styles popular then, I'm derailing a little bit. A lot of the styles. No, that's, that's, no please. Yeah, a lot of the style that came out of that sort of era of, of salmon flies uh, was was a much more modern take and more modern shape and, and feeling to the fly and the proportions were a bit more modern. Uh, so he would call things like that classic and he would call the the truly, you know, classic patterns or, or classic takes on patterns, uh, traditional salmon flies. Mm. But, um, yeah. Anyway, so the, like my journey in fly tying, um, just a second before we go too far down there. What, what are some patterns that are traditional? Like you can name some. Oh like yeah. A green Highland. A green Highlander is a traditional pattern. Uh, like the one I lost the other day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the same one that I have. Yeah, for example. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, no, that's, I, I tied that for fishing. And so I'm, I'm happy that you fished it. It brings me more joy that you fished it uh, than sadness that you lost it. Okay. I promise. I'm not just saying that. <laughs> uh, I want people to fish them. I think it's very cool to fish traditional flies. I also think that, yeah. especially in a place like this. Yeah, exactly. So the, the Green Highlander, and there's a couple of different... Um, I'm devastated. <laughs> <laughs> so yours was a Kelson Green Highlander, and there's also a, a Price Tannic Green Highlander. Those were kind of the two very popular ones. Those are four hours to make? Uh, yeah, about that for those okay. fishing ones, three or four hours for those. Uh, I tied them in kind of production mode. So How they, could you? They went a little <laughs> quicker. No, it's good. Um, I, again, I want people to fish them. So, um, maybe not the ones with, with gut eyes. I want you also to land fish, but, um, yeah. So, sorry, I lost track of your original question. Um, <laughs> at what point did you, you know, you were, you were, you learned to Fly fish, you learn to fly type pretty much right away. Right. And then was there a, a moment where you were like, oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so we get into a more serious level of tying. For a lot of years, uh, I, you know, I was, I was always a, a decent fly tire. Um, and I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I loved collecting all these materials and, you know, nerding out at the vice and, and being kind of a mad scientist. And that's sort of how my feelings towards fly tying started. Uh, it was a very creative journey. It was sort of like, let's see what happens if I strap these two things to a hook. Uh, how do they move in the water? How do they look together? How do the colors blend? How do the textures blend? All that fun stuff. Um, and and I've, I found it very rewarding to be creative. And I would have something come off the vise and I was very happy with it. 
and I'd stick it in the box uh, and then I would tie 12 other flies that looked nothing alike. They were all completely different. And by the time I go to fish them, uh, I look in the box and you're almost sort of overwhelmed by the choice and you kind of don't remember why <laughs> why you maybe tied one over the other. Anyway, you know, you get kind of down this creative rabbit hole. And one of my other fly tying mentors uh, used to make fun of me uh, because I never picked up a book. And he was adamant that like, that's that's where you learn to tie flies. It's not from pictures on the internet. It wasn't from, you know, posts and forums. It was from picking up a book and reading the patterns and learning about the proportions and learning about the traditional materials that were used. And, you know, he didn't necessarily mean for traditional salmon flies, but, you know, for like all of our, our modern day wet flies, you know, that were popularized throughout the, the 20th century, all those things have proportions. Oh, that would and, be like a blue charm, yeah, boom kind of definitely like and, era fly. And, and even like the blue charm and the Kossaboom, um started as, well, not the Kossaboom, uh, but the blue charm started as a traditional pattern. There's a, mm. there's a full dressed blue charm. Mm. Um, and similarly, there's a hair wing green Highlander, for example. Um, that all came about when um, the British kind of brought salmon fishing to, uh, to Newfoundland and to other parts of the Maritimes. And then the sailors would leave and uh, we don't have access to things like, you know, Cory Bustard here and, you know, Swan dyed in all these different colors and golden pheasants and all these things. So they just used what they had. Um, they had squirrels and they had moose and they had deer. Um, and so they used those things instead. And that's how we have our modern hair wing flies. And they, they work That's really fun. cool. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, I didn't know that either. I mean, yeah. it's very logical, but... Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's. I just thought people didn't want to buy the material. <laughs> I don't blame them. The materials aren't <laughs> cheap. Um, yeah, that's that's how those things came about, and uh, so I, I didn't I didn't want to pick up those books for a long time. Um, it just didn't appeal to me to to tie something that somebody else had already come up with. It wasn't about that for me at first. Um, and then at a certain point, I um, I got really obsessed with steelhead flies, ironically. Um, because the man who taught me how to fly fish, very influenced by steelhead culture, being that there wasn't really a spay culture on the East Coast. Um, and so a lot of the flies he liked to fish were like, you know, like tubes or intruders or, you know, like different things like that. And so I started experimenting with these kind of more steelheady spay type flies uh, and eventually picked up, um, it was Jay Nicholas and I don't remember the other author wrote um, Modern Steelhead Flies. Uh, and I tied my way through that book. I tied every pattern in the book. Huh. Um, and uh, I, I loved it. I was getting like more and more down the rabbit hole. And there were a couple mentions of steelhead flies in that book that were like a little bit more classic steelhead, like Sid Glasso's patterns and stuff like that, that kind of lead you in the direction of traditional spay flies. Um, and so then I picked up Bob, Bob Viverka's book and I tied my way through that. Uh, and that is a just an encyclopedia of spay and D patterns. It really lays down the groundwork, gives you all the proportions, all the good stuff. I went through bronze mallard like it was nobody's business, um, <laughs> like it came on tap. And <laughs> I just, I really- <laughs> There aren't enough ducks in the world. <laughs> Not enough ducks out here. <laughs> uh, yeah, I loved it. I really loved tying those flies and that, you know, it just sort of, <laughs> it just snowballed really quick. You know, the first book was all modern steelhead stuff, but mentioned a little bit of the traditional space stuff. And then the second book was like mostly traditional space stuff, but then mentioned a little bit about traditional salmon flies. And then it was like, oh, how do I tie one of those? And suddenly I was in the rabbit hole and I, you know, couldn't find a way out. <laughs> I, had, I, it had to be mastered. It had to be done. And so I, I really sunk my teeth into that. And that was 
two or three years ago um, that I really dove headlong into traditional salmon flies. Um, I've had some really, really helpful mentors along the way that, nice. that are super talented. There's a, a friend of mine in PEI that I fish with fairly regularly when I go there and when he comes here, his name is Tyler Thompson. Phenomenal fly tire. Find him on the internet. He's, he's incredible. Tyler Thompson. Put him in the show notes. Put him in the show notes. He's, he's amazing. Um, really, really oh. awesome fellow. Um, and so uh, every time I tied a fly, I would kind of lay it bare. I'd send it to people like Tyler or people like my friend Todd Kennedy, another phenomenal fly tire, and, uh, or, or Brendan Toner, um, Amber Toner's husband. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, he's another fly tying mentor of mine. And I would kind of send it to this little trusted inner circle of people I could, I could take the heat from, you know, like I, <laughs> I knew them well enough that um, I, I trusted their opinion and I wanted to hear it. And so I would, I would send them flies and say like, what, you know, I'm unhappy with this for this reason. Uh, what could I have done? And they were super generous. Uh, they all would give slightly different feedback, all something different to work on each time. And uh, I feel like that was was pretty key to to getting better at it. Was just sort of accepting my humility. Very cool. What, oh, man? We're doing good for time. We're at like that's good news. Forty five minutes. So we'll spend oh. the next fifteen minutes going down a bit of a slide. What goes? What what steps go into? Because obviously, you know, when you're even when you're tying like an Adams, you're looking at the proportion of the body, the hook, tail, you know, hackle length, you're measuring hackle. And these are very simple steps to getting a, a fly that's proportioned and, and, and good. Well, how much, you know, for people who are unfamiliar with traditional salmon flies, of course, they're very ornate to look at. But like how, how much prep goes before you even make the first thread wrap? Oh, a lot of prep. For sure. Um, so like, for example, uh, most traditional salmon fly hooks are blind, so they don't have an eye on them. Uh, and that's, that's intentional. That's the way they were traditionally tied. They didn't have the means of bending their, their steel hooks into that shape at a certain point in time. And so they would tie the eye in afterwards. Uh, and the eye was made out of braided silkworm gut. Um, and so that, that got tied in as part of the underbody. <laughs> Yelma's mind is snapping. In, in yeah, yeah. And, and some people still use. <laughs> Why? <laughs> uh, that's, that's what it was. That was a, a strong material. Silkworm gut is strong stuff. Uh, and it would compress and it was, you know, lightweight. And you know, it, it checked a lot of boxes. Uh, modern day, it's challenging to get silkworm gut unless you stumble upon an old stash or you happen to know someone or you yourself are someone who breeds silkworms. That's a thing that people do now. Isn't it, I'm getting the, isn't the feeling, resource depleting. I'm getting the feeling I'm sitting across from a silkworm it, breeder. You are not. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was Thank, like, <laughs> thankfully I've not, I've not dealt. Like I have a partner of 10 years, yeah, so I don't breed silkworms. Correct. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I have to draw the line somewhere. I thought they were the, It's pre silkworm. <laughs> I thought the resource was depleting though. Uh, well, I mean, it. it I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, I don't know how. Is there an underground silkworm breeding? I mean, there uh, might, there has I've, to be. If people are breaking into I, museums and stealing feathers. Yeah, there is that. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah but in, in modern day nice. flies, a, a great uh, alternative, what looks an awful lot like braided silkworm gut, is just braided uh, monofilament. Oh, cool. Yeah, so I just I have like three pound ultra green, and there's a whole process involved in braiding your gut loop before you ever tie the fly. Um, you know, everyone's kind of got a different process for doing it. Some people furl them. Some people have like a, a technique with a dubbing spinner and 
anyway, that's a whole process. There's the whole process of prepping your materials, uh, your toppings in particular, the golden pheasant toppings uh, for both the, the topping on top of the fly and then also the tail need to be kind of prepared. They usually get kind of wonky in the package. They're all over the place. You want them to display out really nice. So there's a whole step involved in prepping those and making sure they're going to lay in the right shape and sizing them and a ton of prep work goes in before you ever touch the hook. Mm. What elements of a traditional salmon fly might not exist in a regular fly? So you look at a regular fly, you're like, ah, it's usually got a body, probably has a wing if it's a dry fly or, you know, a tail, mm -hmm. <laughs> even if it's a nymph or, or, or a streamer or whatnot, you know, maybe not modern streamers, but, you know, uh, if you look at a Mickey Finn, a Mickey Finn has a hair wing, yeah. you know, a tail and a body. Um, what are the elements, like you were mentioning, you know, like the golden pheasant, what are elements that might differ? There's a yeah. wing, there's a tail, there's a body. Definitely. Yeah. But there's, there's a bunch of kind of like sub pieces. So when you see a pattern written down for a traditional salmon fly, uh, the, the list is quite long and you know, it's, it's like any other pattern. It's, you know, here's the wing, here's the tail, here's whatever. Yeah, here's but, the hook. But there's, you know, there's the hook, there's the tip, the tag, the tail, the tail veilings, the butt, the rib, the hackle, <laughs> the body, uh, the throat, the underwing, the main wing, the overwing, the cheeks, <laughs> the sides, the horns, the head. Those are, I think, all of the pieces that could be listed in the pattern. So there's, there's a lot of elements involved. Not every fly has all those elements, and not every one of them has complex elements of, of all course, those pieces. Yeah. Um, but one, so for example, something you don't very often see, you do sometimes, but very often do you see, or not very often do you see, in modern hair wing takes on traditional patterns, uh, uh, like an ostrich hurl butt. So almost all, not, not all, but, but a great number of traditional salmon flies have a, an ostrich roll butt after you've tied the tail in to separate the tail from the body. And that means that you've got something covering the tie-in point of the tail that won't show a bump. Oh. But we skip that step in most modern salmon flies. Um, married wings is another thing that doesn't really happen in modern salmon flies. Uh, traditional flies were tied with several different birds' feathers, uh, little strips of each remarried together as though they were one feather and then tied in on top of the hook. Um, it's the scariest part of every fly I've ever tied. Um, the wing will sometimes just explode in your hands uh, <laughs> and you can sometimes salvage it and sometimes you can't. And even just building a married wing sometimes takes like 45 minutes or an hour. Wow. Um, and you just have to accept it and move on. <laughs> You've ruined that wing. Yeah. Those are some of the, the kind of more obvious elements. Yeah, was like, and you lost one. <laughs> See, Yama, this is why I think you would like fly tying. Like, I mean, you're a designer. You meticulously, like... Pis pixel pic push? Pixel push. Like, I, I really think you would like proportioning all these things out and making sure they look beautiful. Yeah. You spend no, your whole life point. making things look beautiful. Well, thank you for saying that. Yeah, yeah, it's a good point. Yeah, no. Yeah, man, I'm not saying you have to do it, my but fly I'm, just, tying, I'm just saying I think that's fly, why you would enjoy it. My fly tying years haven't started yet. The best is yet to come. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Okay, that's cool. Um, do you ever see yourself? Because uh, you know, we used to work at Drift Outfitters, and and you know, Chris would. Chris also ties traditional and has uh, you know entered himself in the competitions. He's a very competitive person. And very. He's very um, <laughs> but he's very um, you know he, he excels at many things and competitive angling and yep. traditional 
fly tying is one of them. Do you ever see? Do you compete? Do you ever send those away? Or do you care? Uh, I'm not a very. I don't care about competitive fly not, fishing, for example. You don't have to. I'm just curious. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not a very competitive person. I'm pretty, mm-hmm. pretty chill about um, pretty much all things. Um, but uh, you know, like sometimes if there's like a little Facebook contest or whatever, I'll throw a fly in the mix and see how it does. I did win one over the winter, which was nice. Nice. Like a fly tying kind of popularity contest. That oh, was cool. I voted Amazing. for you. Oh, thank you. Much appreciated. Team Mitchell. Team Boink. Mitchell. Yeah. Deadly. Yeah. Well, that's, and I was in, in, you know, in all fairness, that particular fly, that was a green well. Uh, it's one of my favorite patterns. And I was, I don't often feel a really strong sense of pride. I know it sounds counterintuitive, but when I finish one of those flies, I've spent so long with it that I know all of the things that I don't like. I know all of the little pieces uh, that I yeah. think could have gone Such a better. designer. Yeah. yeah. Same thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you honestly would probably really love this. <laughs> you could get really in this rabbit hole. You'll know. For sure. Um, but that one in particular, I finished and was like, yes, I like this fly. <laughs> yes. I like the proportions. I like the way everything's sitting. I like the way it photographed. It was good. And so I felt good about putting it in the competition. It was very uh, vindicating to, to have it come out on top. So. Nice. You shoot your own flies? Yeah, yeah. I, nice. I have to um, <laughs> show you sometime. Uh, before ring lights were popular because of uh, the TikTok, um, <laughs> and you couldn't mm-hmm. just buy one at Dollarama, uh, <laughs> your favorite queer over here uh, had, had a hairbrain scheme. Everybody's favorite <laughs> Everybody's queer. favorite queer on the internet. Uh, <laughs> had a hairbrain scheme. <laughs> and I had an old piece of uh, pine in my little scrap collection of wood, and I had a, a scroll saw, and so I cut uh, a ring out of a scroll saw, and I cut a dowel down No, the you didn't. You made your own ring light? I ordered an LED strip off of Amazon. And I, <laughs> Good for you. And I made sure that the I dowel fit in a, in a vice clamp, and so that's my ring light that I use for all of my fly photos. That's hilarious. You are a nerd. I'm a huge nerd. Up top. I <laughs> love it. Um, <laughs> I'm glad you did that. That's awesome. Another friend of ours, Mike Crab, I just learned, uh, uh, learned I think, uh, Jordan was telling yeah. me uh, that Mike takes his fly photos in a Pringle can or something. <laughs> That's or like tries hilarious. to isolate them. So it's something I, I can't remember what it was. Uh, anyway, Mike, if you're listening, sorry if I blew a secret. <laughs> <laughs> but his fly photos are are sweet too. But oh, yeah, yeah, yours are great. That's yeah. hilarious. That's it's, awesome. Uh, it's about as backwards as a ring light gets. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, we're at an hour, and I can't help but Richie notice. Yeah, I can't help but notice the sun is starting to dip between behind the hills, which is when we start seeing salmon move around, mm-hmm. and we're right around the corner from a pool. So, yeah, we got to hit. Uh, Are we? Oh, we're going to that pool. Well, we're just going to go right over yeah, here. That's the one I'm... Yeah, 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 great. Why yeah, not? by the bridge. No, I just thought I don't know. Plans change because I was sleeping. <laughs> so. <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, we're so close to home, and we've great. got. Uh, well, when Scotty. Showed up earlier. He has frozen lasagna for us to eat. <laughs> oh, no pizza? Oh. I guess he didn't find any. Yeah, I didn't find any. Anyway, uh, enough about lasagnas. Today's show is brought to you in part by Chums. You know, Chums, the company that makes those can't-live-without-em straps that keep your sunglasses on your melon. Believe it or not, Chums has been around for 40 years, making top-notch outdoor accessories for all the guides, river rats, and weekend warriors out there. Chums got their start in southern Utah back in 1983, when a guide on the Colorado River invented their now-famous original cotton eyewear retainer. 
Chum still makes many of its products in Utah, and everything they produce is designed to help you hang on to the gear you value most. Head to chums.com to explore a wide range of products, including wallets, roll-top dry bags, waste packs, dry sacks for your phone, and of course, glasses, retainers, and all kinds of wicked styles. Every time we hit the water, Chums is right there with us in the form of amazing gear, which means we never have to worry about our sunglasses or phones sinking to the murky depths of the waters we love to fish. Head to chums.com to check out their full lineup of outdoor accessories. That's chums.com. Best Fishing Story Ever with Matt Martin. Yeah, my, my story has been one that I actually struggled uh, once uh, Mitch invited me to do this. I struggled to come up with uh, one story. I'm fortunate enough to have quite a few, you know, qu- shared quite a few good experiences with clients and friends and family over the years. Um, so narrowing it down was pretty tough. Uh, I actually put together a short list uh, and I think I had like 15 stories that I was like, which one's the best, which one's going to be the most interesting. Um, but one I keep going back to with, with even clients and friends and, and I play over in my head a lot was uh, a story um, that involved my first trip uh, up north to Lake Nipigon um, with my friend uh, Gab and uh, and my dad. Uh, to to start off the story, um, Gab and I had a trip planned um, to like a fly-in kind of uh, fishing resort. Um, and long story short, uh, a couple of weeks beforehand, it kind of fell through. Um, Things weren't working out. The lodge wasn't opening, so I had all this time off from work, and my and uh, and we both were so set on big pike. So we kind of looked at each other and like, what are we gonna do? Um, we kind of chatted about a few options, and then I told him, I'm like, well, I've heard of this lake called Lake Nipigon, and my uh, my cousin lives in Thunder Bay. He catches some giant pike in there. Maybe we should consider that. So a little bit of research goes into it and uh, we, we quickly decide, yeah, that's where we're gonna go. Um, and you know, we needed a boat. Uh, so <laughs> I invited my dad along. Uh, he came up with us uh, for the trip. We made the long drive up, uh, leave on a, like a Friday night. Made the long trip, uh, got up there. You know, it's an eventful drive, uh, 16 hours of just black spruce and highway 11. Um, not much to look at overnight, but uh, if anyone's done that drive, I highly recommend taking uh, the Lake Superior side, uh, Highway 16, I believe. A little bit, little bit nicer drive. Anyways, um, so we get up to the lake, and, and we're actually going to be camping. Uh, we were going to do the backcountry camping uh, kind of route. We loaded up our boat, uh, went to the the main boat launch in South Bay, and saw how many cars were in the parking lot. And, Figured we just got to get out of here. Let's uh, let's let's get out across the lake. So we actually met up with my cousin, who's familiar with the lake. And uh, for those of you that don't know, it's it's an uncharted lake. So there's there's no maps, no bathymetric maps. Your GPS doesn't know how deep you are. You have your depth finder and your throttle. And when you go from 460 feet and the depth just rockets up to 30, you're pretty quick off that throttle, even though you're still in 30 feet of water. Anyways, followed him out uh, to our campsite, which was about an hour and a half uh, drive by boat uh, to get uh, to where we were. We pull into this gorgeous bay with uh, some fantastic um, uh, granite cliffs all around, deep 
crystal clear water. Uh, it just looked like paradise. Like if I had to plan a place to fish, uh, it would, it would have to draw up a place to fish. That that's what it would look like. We had these scattered islands. We had the calmest day I've ever seen on the lake, bluebird skies. We were coming around the corner and I, every one of us just had the biggest smile on our face. We're like, Where are we? And when can we start fishing? Um, I am, I remember almost feeling like a kid. I jumped off the boat, uh, picked up a fly rod before we even set up a tent, cast a fly into the bay, and I got smashed by a pike right at the shoreline. I was like, this week is gonna be unbelievable. I've made one cast, and I just had a giant pike try to eat it at my feet. It was pretty cool. So we got set up and spent a few fantastic days uh, catching a bunch of pike and, uh, and, and really trying to catch one of the famous Nipigon residents, the brook trout. And if anybody knows Gab, they know how much he adores brook trout. <clears throat> and uh, this is the home of the world record. So, you know, all of us in our minds had a, a plan to beat our personal best brook trout. And for me, it was probably going to be pretty easy. I think it was like 13 inches or 14 inches. It's, it wasn't going to be too hard. Um, he was in a similar boat, maybe a little bigger than that. And, you know, we said we set aside a few days to just catch brook trout and we worked hard. Um, we cast over and over again, found all the right structure, found some fish, but they wouldn't commit. They would just follow, trail your fly right to the boat. Um, and the excitement was growing, but also we were feeling a little beat up, knowing that we could just pick up our 10 weights and go into the next bay and go catch 30 or 40 pike was, was really tough to not do. Um, we were, we were committed uh, to get those brookies and, and they didn't come easy. Um, after two days of trying for them pretty much nonstop, our, our third day we were gonna try for them, we got bound in by weather. Uh, storm came through, uh, Lake Nipigon is huge, it's almost the size of Georgian Bay itself. Uh, the wind kicked up, the waves were five, six foot. And we were on our island, we just kinda hung tight, sat there, uh, got into the whiskey a little bit, had some good food, uh, just had a, had a good day of just really laying around. I think I ended up like napping in the middle of the day for like four hours, which is unheard of for me. It was really relaxing and just thinking back on it, it was almost the perfect day even without the fishing. So just before dinner time, uh, the wind kind of lays down and we know there's a bunch of pike in our bay where we're camped. So Gab and I, while my dad's getting a fire going and probably getting all the other camp chores done because he's just that awesome person to have at camp. We decide to jump in the boat and, uh, you know, not go far, just put the electric motor down, start booting around the bay. So we get into it and <clears throat> just like all our previous experiences with every other bay, it's just full of pike. We went all the way to the one far point and worked our all the way back through and it was just cast after cast getting into pike. Uh, nothing big, but just lots of action. And you could probably hear us laughing and just, you know, counting how many casts in a row it's been uh, for fish after fish. So we keep kind of going and the wind picks up again. And I remember clearly uh, impaling myself with a big 4-0 hook uh, after a wind gust blew through and got all, you know, luckily it's barbless, <laughs> came right out and decided, uh, you know what, I think the wind's got the best of me. I'm going to 
make everyone cringe and pick up a spinning rod, actually a bait casting rod. And I started just whaling on more pike, just fishing a six or seven inch swim bait, just big steel leader, just, just crushing the pike, having a lot of fun. Gab was still sticking it out with the fly rod and we were doing well. So a bunch of fish goes by and my dad's kind of, you could see him down on the shoreline watching us, pretty much trying to tell us, hey guys, like trying to talk to a couple of teenagers, get off the dock, food's ready. Um, we were in the same kind of boat, but we were still committed to just, just catching fish. We couldn't say no. So um, we were at the point where, you know, every fish we caught was in that 30, 30 to 33 inch range. And we were just shaking them off at the boat. It was, it was just a lot of fun. And I made a cast and um, pulling that, <laughs> that, that, uh, that lure across the surface and bang, I get smacked again. And, I'm horsing in, you know, what's what I'm, you know, another another 25 to 30 inch pike just laughing. And it uh, is up on the surface, splashing all the way back, kind of goes behind the boat. And I'll never forget this image is clearly burned into my mind of Gab just laughing and looking around. And all of a sudden, it's like he saw a ghost. And <laughs> he turns to me and yells in his very thick French Canadian accent. Uh, it's a fucking brook trout. <laughs> and we'd spent days fishing for these and he's shaking and I'm shaking and the drags backed off. And I'm like, what, are you serious? And I remember him looking at me and you've seen him say, it's huge, it's just giant. So in a sense of panic, I kind of blacked out. Uh, fish is under the boat and I finally get a look at it. And this is by far, not only my personal best brook trout, but one that will probably always be my personal best brook trout. Um, I'm uh, shaking about it, even thinking about that fish. And I play it up to the surface. And you know, sometimes they say the fish finds the angler or the angler finds the fish, but this fish totally found me. I pull it up to the surface and the hook pops out of the mouth completely, but Gab gets it in the net and we're both like, did it hit the net? We lift up the big pike net. And sure enough, there's a giant brook trout in the bottom of the net. And everything is so quiet and still out on the lake, a few waves and wind, and both of us just bear hugged each other and we're laughing. And my dad's on the shoreline, runs down thinking someone's hurt because we were making so much noise. And we just yelled at him that it's a brook trout and it's the biggest one we've ever seen. And when he told me it was the biggest one he's ever seen, I knew it was serious. And uh, for those of you that know Gab, he's a great photographer and he gets his camera all set up and we get a few quick photos of the fish, put it back in the net, bring the tape measure out and it's over two feet long. It was just unbelievable. I think it was just shy of the 25 inch mark. And to think that this was caught on like a eight inch swim bait with like a steel leader. I know this is a fly fishing podcast, but you know, it was one cast after putting down my fly rod just picked up my spinning rod, chucked it out there, and wham, there's the brook trout. So we get another measurement because we don't believe it. And we take a girth, and the girth was like 19 inches around. It was just a huge fish. I think the I don't I don't think I'll ever beat that fish. We release it and I'm looking, I'm like hugging them, and this is just unbelievable. And I'm like, let me see the photos. And almost every single photo was so blown out and washed out. He'd forgot to adjust the settings from earlier that day. We just both died laughing. We had uh, a couple good silhouettes of the fish. Uh, had one good shot of it in the net. And uh, 
and it didn't really matter. I was there with uh, a really good friend and, and, and you know, having my mentor, my dad watching from the shoreline, seeing me catch that spectacular fish um, was just a memory that will live on um, in my mind for years to come. And I hope to one day beat it, but uh, I, think it'll, I think it'll live on as my personal best for some time. We were all done celebrating and have this massive, you know, excitement, this high that we're both living on. We look up and we're in the middle of nowhere and doesn't another boat pull up around the corner, pull up onto our beach at our campsite and start setting up their tent about 30 feet away from our tent. <laughs> I remember the look on both of my face, my gab, and, and we're like looking at my dad, like tell them to get lost. And my dad looks at them and is like, sure, come on, it's lots of room. <laughs> and I'm sure Gab will agree. The look on my face was just like, are you kidding me? <laughs> so we went from this ultimate high of catching a fish that I've dreamt about for years to then being this ultimate low of like, there's thousands of islands and someone set up next to us. Turns out they were nice people. They had cold beer. And uh, we spent the night just sharing fishing stories uh, around the fire. So it was, it was, it turned out to be all right. Uh, but yeah, that's uh, one story that kept coming in front of mind today when I was thinking about it, and I'm uh, glad to share it with you. It sucks that Mitch isn't here to deliver the Mitchie's Fishies Five to Mitchell. Mm -hmm. That's like the uh, like a like a vortex of Mitch. Let's, let's Facetime him in. <laughs> <laughs> we should Facetime him for this. But of course, uh, the Mitchie's Fishies Five are uh, a set of five questions that we ask all of our guests, and who knows, maybe we'll make a book one day. Um, be kind of. I'm staring at you. <laughs> I can see that. Be kind of sweet. Very intently. Uh, yeah. You know. These are. These are my favorite. Um, so yeah, Mitchie's Fishies Number One. Uh, what is your favorite fish, and and why? You have a guess. I have a pretty strong guess. <laughs> Very yeah. strong guess. Yeah. I I really love Atlantic salmon. Um, it's. Uh, I mean, you felt the tug yesterday, and you've landed some fish yourself. It's it's pretty indescribable. It is indescribable. Yeah, it's they're they're just such a an impressive fish. They're an indicator of healthy streams. They're symbolism for you know perseverance and a lifelong journey and and you know and passion and um, they're just incredible beings on this earth. They can find their way back to not only the river they were born in, but sometimes the exact same pool they were born in after thousands of miles in the ocean. They're just so impressive to me. And the fact that I can put a line in the water um, over and over again, mind you, but put a line in the water uh, and, and maybe get a chance to interact with this incredible creature on its lifelong journey to return home uh, and, and make new generations of fish. That's pretty friggin' special. Well said. Well said. Uh, I will uh, ask for an appendix here. Um, do you want to go through what, your, what happened yesterday morning? In terms of oh, interacting with one, oh, did, I, did we ever interact? Um, yeah, no, I because uh, we didn't touch on that. We got we got to talk about <laughs> the salmon that almost was. It almost was. Spoiler alert. Um, yeah, we were fishing the the top of a pool, and I, I put on my my favorite pattern, and uh, I was just chatting with Yilma. This always happens in salmon fishing, by the way. <laughs> the moment you're just like chatting away, or you're like looking at the birds or something, you you just get slammed. Like it just annihilates your fly and. If you want to poop your pants. And that low-key is exactly what happened. I was talking to Hilma, and all of a sudden, my rod was being ripped out of my hands, and I 
uh, I tightened up and uh, this really gorgeous fish shot out of the water. It was a good 15 or 16 pound fish, I would, I would guess from my distance. Um, the fish was huge. It was huge. I, re I reviewed the footage. You almost got it all in slow -mo. It was a, yeah. I'm super thankful that you did. Um, a big part of salmon fishing for me is I don't have a great long-term memory, and if I get like a photo of the fish at the end, then I'm like, great, I'm gonna remember everything about this fish. Uh, and then when I lose them, sometimes it's it's depressing for that reason alone. I mean, I don't mind, you know, I interacted with it one way or another, but I would love to to get the opportunity to get a photograph of it and remember it. So the fact that you caught that all on video and the fish jumped out of the water during the fight is, I'm, I'm super thankful. Yes. Um, and anyway, yeah, the fish um, ran down and, and bulldogged and went right back to its lie and um, then uh, went for a run. And when it went for a run, it, it, I guess its lie was likely behind a rock because I broke it off. And Yeah, um, we, yeah we touched the leader after, not to interrupt, but we touched the, the leader after and it was all braised, yeah? Yeah, it oh, was, yeah. Braised. It, was, it was frayed and braised. Yes. Braised. What did I say? <laughs> braised. Is that not a word? <laughs> yeah, yeah, but like more so when you're For cooking like, meats. Like beef. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> like braised beef. I do prefer my leader's slow <laughs> cooking. It was, it was frayed. <laughs> I, tend, I tend to braise my leader's oh. barbecue sauce. <laughs> they go down a lot easier that way. Um, no. <laughs> I'm here for a good time. No, but it was it was all frayed from, uh, from a rock and there was some like kind of algae or, you know, like, remnants on it so it was pretty clear what had happened um i got some good tips from from scotty afterward because i wasn't sure what i could have done there but the answer was move my feet should have ran after it downstream so it didn't have so much line to play with and get around a rock on me um but that makes total sense after the fact but in the moment i was just so stunned by what yeah. was happening yeah i was like it's so strong crap. it's like, like oh <laughs> shit yeah oh my god yeah and then it, after it broke me off i was like i turned around i was like oh man and it gave you the old like the middle finger jump afterward too it shot out of the water one more time just yeah, to be like, did. by the way yeah. <laughs> and we're gonna post this on our instagram probably to promote this show but yeah this is awesome moment where you're like ah oh, like in slow-mo yeah, you got your hand you got your hands on your knees and as you have your hands on your knees lamenting what just happened yeah, that's yeah. a perfect way of putting it, Mitchell. The fish is jumping out of the air, just being like, fuck you, dude. <laughs> <laughs> you can see, like, you can read my lips in that photo. I was like, wow. Yeah, like, you yeah. turn to the camera, you're like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was just so special to, to interact with, with fish like that, especially ones that bright and that that size. Yeah. Like, yeah. That fish was, was pretty fresh from the ocean and full of piss and vinegar. It mm -hmm. was pretty awesome. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, Mitchie's uh, fishies too. Uh, uh oh. Uh, <laughs> anywhere in the world is that this one? Well, these might be out of order, but yeah, if you could fish anywhere <laughs> on Earth, and it was the best, uh, you know, time to do so. Like what, uh, you know, what would you fish for? Well, or where would you? Where go? would you go? Where yeah. would I go? Yeah. Um, so I, I, I've been a long time listener to this show. I've toyed over these questions a lot, and you'd think I'd have concrete answers by now. Uh, I always thought I would say Chilean Patagonia to this to this question, but I actually think I would want to go to like northern Norway or Sweden. Yeah, I see that yeah. for you. And yeah, just fish big old rods, big old long heads, and big old casts for big old salmon. I think that would be <laughs> pretty stellar. Um, fish the midnight sun. I think that's that's on that my bucket list. That would be so cool. Wouldn't it? Yeah. Like you're, it's like three o'clock in the pike. morning. Yeah. Like three a.m. Oh, bring me. Let's yeah. do this. Yeah. Let's <laughs> Done. You guys haven't had enough of getting up at five o'clock in the morning? No, you know what? With, no. the, with the midday nap, yeah. It's, yeah. it's quite reasonable. The salmon siesta is a real part of the real part of the journey. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think that's I think that's my answer. Is I, I would love to go fish Scandinavia for big salmon. Awesome answer. Yeah. What number three mm-hmm. is your favorite fishing memory? Favorite oh, fishing memory. I wouldn't have remembered that one. Yeah, uh, actually, this one, one I do have a concrete answer for, and I'm very fortunate. Um, I think that every year that I spend on the water, because uh, like I said, been a long time listener. I I think about this question a lot, um, not just because you know I was dreaming of being on the show one day, but because I think it's an it's important. A very few people dream of. That. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's an important question to to ponder, right? Like what yeah. what memories did you make this season that mm-hmm. you are grateful for, right? That 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 stick with you. Like I said, my memory's not great, um, and so when I do have those special moments, I really like to to reminisce on them a lot and really keep those in the noggin because they're they're special. Um, and and every year I think I get one of the tops the previous year, uh, and I think that's that's pretty. Um, Pretty fortunate. So um, I think I told Yilma this story over the weekend at some point, but uh, this happened last year on the Marguerite in early July. Um, I was up here for another women's event. My friend Joya um, would frequently host uh, women's salmon fishing retreats on the Marguerite at Live Life Intense. And uh, we were uh, hosting one of these events. Uh, Scotty and Kate were guiding. I was doing some like fly tying and casting instructing. So I, I wasn't needed that morning every you know all the ladies were going off uh, and, and going out for a fish and joy said well you should like you can meet us later like why don't you go for a fish i was like yeah that's a good idea i said where do you think i should go and she's like i don't know maybe go to swimming hole so i went to swimming hole um i love that the pools are named mm-hmm. i love that shit all of the pools like i don't know people there's get, a sign at all of them people yeah. get uppity but the the pools are all on google maps like you can you can go into any convenience store around here and get a map of the marguerite that's been the same for a hundred years um yeah, so I, I, I pulled on down to the pool and uh, there was a father and son there and I got chatting with them and, uh, you know, came to learn that they were both kind of newer anglers, but the, the son was like super into it. He loved, loved, loved fly fishing, head over heels in love. And so it's something that his dad sort of picked up more um, to spend more time with his son. And I thought that was super nice and they were really friendly. Uh, the kid was 11 years old and uh, really into it. He, he ties flies as well. And he's, he had started spay casting and both of which he was doing quite well with, uh, especially for an 11 year old, it was incredible. Um, so anyway, uh, they were super friendly and they, he said, you know what, we've been seeing a few fish show and he, he pointed to a couple spots in the pool and he said, uh, you know, like go have a pass, like go get them. So um, I looked through the box and I, uh, I picked up this fly that a friend of mine had told me to tie for a trip to New Brunswick last year. Um, and I thought, oh, there's, you know, I th- he's a fishy guy and there's no reason that his flies wouldn't work in the marguerite. So I stuck one on and. I put it, uh, you know, I was putting it through the pool and I got to a spot where uh, the dad had told me that uh, a fish had risen and sure enough, I, I rose a fish and uh, I said, okay, okay, we're, we're doing it. <laughs> uh, and so I said, like, stay calm, everybody, stay calm. And I put the fly back there and, and I hooked the fish and it was a really nice, really bright, like almost translucent silver grills. Um, and it, it gave me a run. Grills are notoriously spunky and they, they run up and down the pool and um, they're very difficult to net on your own or tail on your own. They're even more difficult to tail. Um, and so so I was, much energy. They, they teenage do, energy. They have a bunch of teenage angst. And, and their, the wrist, <laughs> the part by the tail, is, is so much smaller that it is difficult to tail one. So you really do want the net. But then, you know, trying to navigate the 12-foot rod and the net. Anyway, the father noticed that I couldn't net the fish on my own. So he came down. He said, let me do that for you. So he grabbed the net. Um, and he, uh, he netted the fish. And I was so stoked. This was my... I fished the marguerite a lot, but I've never had great luck here. That was my first marguerite fish that I had landed. I had oh, hooked, wow. I had hooked many, but that was my first one landed, and I was, like, just beaming. 
And the, the son, you know, immediately jumped in and helped too. He grabbed the net while I took the fish out. The dad took a photo for me. Um, and, you know, we got the fish back right away. It was just sort of perfect, right? And I was just beaming. And I said, you know what? One good turn deserves another. I, I'd like you each to have one of this pattern. Right? So I reached into my box and I gave them each one of this fly that had worked so well for me. And That's awesome. Um, you know, I said, go get them. Like, it's your turn. I've done what I needed to do. Uh, and so I sat down and um, the dad was moving his way into the pool and he put out a couple casts and he said, you know what, I'm going to tie on that fly of yours. And he, he cut off his fly and he put on mine. And I think he had three in the water before a salmon smoked it, like a nice fish. And uh, this is a pretty clear pool. It's, you know, it's lower water in the summertime and it's a pretty deep pool. And so you don't see the fish until they start moving. And boy, did they ever start moving because this <laughs> fish was just, you know, sort of bullying them out of the way as it was being played. And um, they were, you know, we saw six or seven distinct fish just just move while this one was being played. And the son was getting so excited. He's like, oh, my God, there's fish everywhere. There's fish everywhere, Dad. I got I to gotta go. I got to go fish. I said, you go on ahead. I said, I'll take your dad's net. I'll net this fish for your dad. You go get a fish. So he tied on that fly. He went up. And I'm there, you know, just waiting to net the dad's fish. And uh, I start hearing the kid shout, he's double header, double header. He's screaming from <laughs> up the shore. He is so stoked. He's got a grill saw on. Um, and it, it's a smaller one, so he's able to, to land it himself. And just as he kind of lands his uh, down near us, the dad is, I've netted the dad's fish. And they both landed their fish right around the same time. And we got pictures of both of them. Wow. And uh, it was just. He told the story better this time. <laughs> I, had Jesus, to, I, had, I, had, I had to leave you wanting something right? um, it was it just was the most perfect morning i could imagine i i went out at 8 30 i was i was back to the campground for 9 30 i it was just wow perfect i didn't i i couldn't have made the day better by staying that was perfect and so that was my whole day of fishing i ended it right there um that is love that is my current yeah favorite good fishing story. memory very good story great story number four Oh, I know, I know. Oh, you know but, okay. but just, just you know what? You have that photo? Yeah, somewhere. Yeah, I'll find it. That'd be a good episode image. Yeah, EP image. Send it to me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's on my Instagram. Right yeah. Um, why do you fly fish? Number four. Mm. I always like why this do you question. Do it? I love, it's my favorite question. I think about it every time I go fishing. Yeah, I do. I think about this a lot. And I think, um, as many of your guests have said, there's a plethora of reasons um that that we all enjoy fly fishing there's you know there's the community aspects there's the technical aspects um i think the big one for me is that you know i've always had a lot of anxiety um and you know dealt with dealt with my share of things and the river is a place where i can it's not so much about checking your brain out it's that you are so wholly engrossed in the thing that you're doing and the surroundings that you're in and the thing that you're after and uh, the goal that you've set that you your brain is just spinning with enough revs that other things sort of work themselves out as you go. Um, so you've, if you've got problems, they're spinning in the background while you're figuring out these other problems, right? You're figuring out what fly to pick next, uh, you know, how to present your swing, where the fish might be holding, you know, how, how could I improve that last cast? All these little problems um, keep the, the other problems in your brain churning. Um, the problem solving aspect is, is also huge for me. I, I love puzzles, big, big puzzle person. Uh, do a crossword a day at minimum. Oh, nice. Sudoku a day at minimum. <laughs> I love puzzles. I love figuring things out. Uh, and fly fishing, I did a whole presentation on this for work one time about how fly fishing made me a better software developer um, because it's just puzzles. 
It's one puzzle after another. There's so many little puzzles and they all contribute to these larger puzzles. Uh, and the big puzzle, the, the, you know, how do you catch every fish, um, is sort of, uh, ephemeral. It can't be solved, but you can always be striving to solve it. And I think that is what keeps it so interesting. Mm. That's a good, that's a unique answer. Do you think of this? I think a lot about these things. No, this question, that was great. I mean, do you not think about why you fly fishing on the river? No. Okay. <laughs> no, it's a good thing. I mean, I don't know. No, I, don't. Well, I mean, it's, it's nice maybe, to not. It's nice to not think. Maybe that's why you yeah. fly fish, right? Is because you don't have to think about anything. Absolutely. But what I was saying, that answer was beautiful. It's beautiful. It's one of those things where I'd have to think, write it, get someone to publish it, make sure it has grammatically correct, and then I would say it. But you said it like that. I think about it a lot. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Great answer. It's a good question. It, yeah. it is a really good question. It's, it's like a, I such said, a simple question, but like, everyone, yeah, well, hey, why do you fly fish? It's like, <laughs> and I found too, like with, with people that fly fish, it's, I think it's probably similar to other hobbies where people are very passionate, you know, hobbies that have quote unquote bums, you know, people that really dive into something and, and, and devote a significant portion of their life to it. Something has to make them devote that much attention to it, right? There's something yeah. that draws them in beyond just, oh, fish are cool. Like I'd love to catch a fish. Um, you know, more power to you, but like, especially salmon fishing, uh, you're very seldom doing that. Uh, there's gotta be more, right. Uh -huh. Um, and, and for me, that's, that's a huge part of it. Yeah. The puzzles. Like there are people out there that go fishing, they catch a fish and they're like, I'm good. Yep. I don't understand those people, but they <laughs> exist, mm. you know, not us. And I think about it on my drive to the, to the pool tonight. Well, it's a two. Two millisecond drive. <laughs> Better start now. <laughs> um, okay, last one, and I'm very curious to hear your answer. answer. Really? Yeah. Mitchell you... Roberts, if you were a fly, no, Mission Fishy number five, if you were a fly, what would you be? Hmm. If you were a fly pattern, what would you, Mitchell Roberts, classic traditional salmon fly tire, <laughs> spay, Jedi? <laughs> How disappointed would you be if I told you a woolly I, bugger? I, I want, I want, I want <laughs> it to you, be a non-salmon fly. Bugger. I, I would like. I think it would be funny, apropos, if it wasn't uh, one of these flies. But it's I'm not a, it's not a full dress salmon fly. I've thought about this a lot, and I feel like it has to be at least a little bit, um, a little bit higher brow than than like a hair wing or something. Um, I think it's a Lady Caroline. And oh my God, Mitch would have loved yeah. that answer. So, so here's here are the many reasons. The Lady Caroline seems like it's a fancy fly. It's not really. It's very, it, it's a very practical fly. It's very the colors are very muted. Um, you know, it's olive and it's brown. It's very natural looking. There's nothing super embellished about it, but it's it's still it's still elegant. It's still uh, it's a Lady Caroline. It's still a little bit effeminate. Um, it's it's a good pattern all around, but it's also you know it's a little bit oddball. It's not in everybody's box. It's not something most people. Are gonna pull out, um, but everyone likes it. It's it's easy going. Um, I think that's why the Lady Caroline appeals to me for this question. And I I've thought a lot about this question because it's the hardest one in your in your five for sure to come up with this answer. And <laughs> no, I no, I think the one before is the hardest for me, anyways. But yes, it's not my interview. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's a hard question too. It's a philosophical question, but this one, um, you know, I, I've I've often I've stewed on this a lot, and I don't know if there's a better one. Um, the Lady Caroline is practical while being, you know, elegant. And it, you need to, to tie it well, but it doesn't have to be, um, it doesn't have to be a whole elaborate thing. 
I don't need things to be a whole elaborate thing. That's great. I like that. I like that. Well, should we go fishing? Yeah. I mean, I got to (laughs) pee. Nice. Good way to end the show. Yeah. (laughs) Deadly buys. Yeah. Great. Well, Thanks for obviously taking some time out of our fishing day and our salmon siesta to uh, mm-hmm. come on the show. We've been wanting to come here and mm-hmm. have you on the show for a while. So it's nice to do it in person. It's always, yeah. I like doing them in person. Me too. Better. Yeah. It's fun. Yeah. We're outside. Yeah. We're having a beer. We're right by the river. Definitely. We're right by the river. You can hear yeah. the birdies chirping. I always think that's really nice. But yeah, no, thanks for uh, coming on the show and thanks for welcoming us here and inviting us and fishing with us. It's, Awesome learning from you and, and, and having you on the show, but it is shameful plug time. So shameful plug. Sh- shameful? Shameless. <laughs> shameless? Shameless. Okay. Shameless, shameless it it's, is. It's shameless plug time. Where can people find your content? How can people book you as a guide, instructor, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah. Um and I mean, this will all be in the show notes. So the best approach is is probably through Instagram. Um mm-hmm. I've got an email address too, but Instagram is probably gonna get a hold of me quicker anyway, and that's at life between lines. You'll see lots of pictures of flies. Mm-hmm. If you like those, every now and then a picture of a fish, if I'm so lucky. Boom. There Boom. you go. Mitchell Roberts. Mitchell Roberts. Thank oh, you guys. Okay. Okay, let's go catch a fish. It, whoa. Yeah. Oh. It's June 29th. This yep. is coming out July 1st. Um, Sun- it's, uh, that's, Friday. A, that's a quick Saturday. It's, it's a quick turnaround, but we're going to get it done. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> here we are. So it's Making- like a, another hot off the press show. Um yeah, that's it for me. Although, I mean, uh, yeah, look out for this show. And uh, on on July fifteenth, we'll be posting a, 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 a recap show of this uh, of this whole amazing trip mm-hmm. and um, and our time with uh, Kate, Scott, and of course Mitchell um, in the beautiful Marguerite Valley. So again, that's uh, that's it for me. Although, from Nova Scotia, <laughs> most beautiful place on earth. Aren't you supposed to say that's it for you? No. Okay. Bye. Bye. It's Yoma. See you next time. <laughs> This was a, a great <laughs> show. Mitchell, thank you so much. Yeah, anytime. Thank you, guys. It's been fun. <laughs> Thanks. Nice. Bye. You can find all of our content at SoFly.ca. Reach out via email by sending your questions or comments to info at SoFly.ca. Find us on Instagram at the SoFly Crew. Thanks for listening.